Lord, that is a hard teaching, and we pray that you would use what you say through that scripture to help us to be uh, the kind of people you want us to be and have the relationships you want us to have. We pray this in your name. Amen. When my son was younger, he didn't know how to express his anger verbally, and growing up in a pastor's home, he certainly had never heard any any inappropriate words, so... So he made one up. Whenever he got mad, he would say, foe. Didn't mean anything, but apparently it had the right combination of fricatives and vowels to make him feel better when he said it. One day, our little daughter came running into the house crying and said, Mommy, Jackson called me a foe. We explained to her that, you know, it didn't mean anything, but it didn't help. She just kept crying and crying. Must have been the way he said it, I guess. My first thought was, I wonder if people who don't believe in sin have children because they are such walking evidence for it. You just sort of see it all there. And then my second thought was, we are so creative as human beings when it comes to hurting each other, aren't we? And if only we could be that creative and show that much energy in reconciling our relationships as much as we do wrecking them, well, we'd all be a lot better off. This fall, we have been talking about how Jesus makes everything new. And perhaps the thing that I think we most want Jesus to make new in our lives is our relationships. Because you cannot get through life without having some kind of relational pain. Friends that hurt us, marriages that are painful, parents and children who are fighting with each other, church members who are at odds. And I think the pain of those broken relationships is some of the deepest pain that we as human beings can ever feel. And I think the thing Jesus most wants to make new in our lives is those broken relationships. Because God's highest priority is relationship. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that God himself is a relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God wrote relationship into the DNA of the universe. That's why electrons, neutrons, and protons sort of go together in relationship to form atoms. And atoms bind with other atoms in relationship to form molecules and planets orbit their suns. God is all about relationship. And the cross shows us just how far God will go to restore broken relationships. Willing to come himself in the person of Jesus to die for us so that we could be reconciled to him. And I think that's important because if we don't reconcile, if we don't forgive, it makes us bitter. It robs us of joy. And gives us baggage that we carry into other relationships. As you've heard me say before, holding on to a grudge is like taking poison, hoping that your enemy is going to die. Which is, I think, what Jesus is getting at at the end of that parable, where you sort of get that ouch line, right, where the unmerciful servant is put in jail, and Jesus says, well, the same will happen to you if you don't forgive. And I don't think Jesus is saying that God can't forgive our unforgiveness. The point of the parable is that God's forgiveness is infinite. What he's saying is that an unforgiving person can never really be free because they're consumed with anger and as a result can never fully experience God's grace. But the promise of the cross is that Jesus makes broken relationships new so that we can know the freedom of not carrying around a weight of bitterness and so that we can have the joy of seeing God's power at work healing relationships that we thought didn't stand a chance. And in order for Jesus to do that, he needs us to cooperate with him in four ways. And to help us remember, I'm going to use the acronym G-A-P-S, GAPS. Just like there are gaps in our relationship, 
with other people, Jesus needs us to do four things to bridge those gaps so we can have four, uh, restored relationships. And the first thing we need to do is go. Go to the person that we're, we're in conflict with. And that's what Jesus is saying at the beginning of the passage. If you're in a broken relationship, go. And who should go? You should go. I should go. Even if it's the other person's fault. Even if you didn't do anything wrong. Even if you've done a blame assessment study and you have irrefutable scientific proof that the other person is completely, totally, 100% to blame and you are 100% innocent. Uh-huh. And I got a bridge I'd like to sell you, right? Even then, go. You see, conflict is a part of life. It's normal. In fact, most of the New Testament is written because Christians were fighting with each other. So Paul's always having to write these letters saying, don't fight and don't get mad, you know. And conflict is a part of life. And some of that conflict is even good. A lot of that conflict was folks trying to figure out how to be the church together. But Jesus also says this broken relationship stuff is important. So don't ignore it. And someone has to make the first move, and Jesus says, that's you, that's me. Now, if you're like me, this is the hardest part, because I hate conflict. And I don't want to deal with it. I want to ignore it and hope it goes away. But Jesus says, go. Now, I don't think that means we go to someone over every little thing that bothers us. You know, I really can't stand the way you end your sentences with prepositions. That's something upon which I must confront you. Right? Some things need to follow the Fido principle. Forget it and drive on. But when something is really getting in the way of the relationship, we need to go. In another passage, Jesus says that reconciliation is so important that even if you're in church worshiping and you remember that you've got a problem with someone, he says, get up, leave, and go work it out. And as a preacher, I find this very comforting because every time I preach, there's always someone getting up and leaving for some reason. Now I know it's not the sermon. Right? They're just obeying Jesus. Jesus says, Go. And who do we go to? Do we go to the office and talk about it? Do we go to our Bible study and ask them to pray for the other person? No, we go to that person that we've got the problem with in private. And then if that doesn't work, bring in some other Christians or a pastor to help us out. And we go ready to listen, not just talk. You know, sometimes I think our idea of conflict resolution is bringing an itemized list of everything the other person did wrong. I mean, do you ever, when you're in a conflict with someone, do you ever imagine in your head that perfect conversation you're going to have with them, right? Where, you know, you, you make intellectual jelly out of them with all your wonderful arguments and sort of leaves them groveling on the floor saying, you were completely right and I am completely wrong, right? You ever imagine that or is it just me? <laughs> have you ever had that conversation with those results? Probably not. Because reconciliation is about listening as well as talking. God gave us two ears and only one mouth. We should take that as a hint. Go to the person ready to listen. And most importantly, go seeking reconciliation, not revenge. Go. The second thing Jesus needs us to do to heal a relationship is to admit our part of the conflict. You know, reconciliation happens when both sides can say, here's how I think I hurt you, I'm sorry. When both sides can do that, once that happens, reconciliation takes about 30 seconds after that. I think that's part of what the parable is about. The unmerciful servant cannot see his own sin. He sees everyone else's really clearly, but he can't see his own. 
But when we realize how much God has forgiven us, how much we've hurt other people, and when we can admit that, reconciliation is virtually guaranteed. But that would be the problem, wouldn't it? We don't want to admit our part in the conflict. As a pastor, this is one of the hardest things that I, to get people to do, is admit their part of the conflict. And we don't want to do that. Either because we're afraid that we're going to be defined by our failures, or we just don't see how we've hurt other people, or because, to be honest, sometimes it just feels good to stay mad a little while longer, doesn't it? There's a country song by Patty Loveless that, where she's talking about a relationship that obviously didn't go very well, and she's bitter about it, and the chorus goes, Someday someone's going to hurt you like you've done me, honey. And when she hurts you like she'll hurt you, it won't be funny. You need some sympathy, but don't come cry to me. Yeah, blame it on your lying, cheating, cold, dead, beaten, two-time and double-dealing, mean, mistreating, loving heart. <laughs> Whoa! I, I, you got to love country music, right? It's just... Tell it like it is, Patty. Yeah. Someone done that poor woman a world of hurt. And she is nursing a grudge because sometimes it just feels good to do that, doesn't it? Now, I will admit that very rarely there, there may be one completely innocent per- person in a conflict, but it's pretty rare. It usually takes two. And when both sides can say, here's how I have hurt you, I am sorry, reconciliation can happen. Go, admit our part in the conflict. Next, pray. Reconciliation is not something we can do on our own. We need Jesus and his Holy Spirit to help us do it. Let me just give you two prayers to pray before you try to reconcile with someone. The first is, Lord, show me my sin. Both in general and in this conflict, show me my sin. Show me my part. And then the second prayer is, Lord, help me to see that other person the way you see them. And then when you go to have that conversation, ask Jesus to give you the right right words. Go, admit, pray, and then finally, stay. Reconciliation doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And we've got to keep at it. Now, Jesus does say that after you've tried everything you can think of, you've talked to the other person, you've done some counseling, all that stuff, and the other person still won't cooperate, you may need to let that person go out of your life. There are also times when a relationship is so destructive to both of you, the best thing you can do is simply forgive each other and say, let's just agree to stop hurting each other and go your separate ways. And sometimes you can't reconcile with someone because they're dead. But even then, through prayer and maybe some counseling, I think we can let go of even the deepest bitterness and pain. But most relationships can be healed. But it doesn't happen all at once. We have to stay. We have to keep working at it. We have to stick it out. No hit and run. Let me give you just a trivial, kind of silly example. A while back, I was pulling out of a stop sign, and I didn't notice that there was a car coming. And he had to slam on his brakes to avoid hitting me. When he did, he yelled out the window, Hey, buddy, what's your problem? And then he called me a name, which I can't repeat. Now, that's a profound question he asked. What is my problem? I mean, I had so many things I could have shared with him in that moment. But he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to have a relationship. He wanted to deliver his news and then drive on. Now, according to what I've been saying, he did a couple of things right, didn't he? I mean, he took action. He dealt with the conflict. 
He was impressively direct. He comes to me privately, doesn't have all the other motorists gossiping about me. But he didn't stay. He didn't want to have a relationship with me. And neither did I. (laughs) For reconciliation to happen, we need to stick around. There's a saying I like a lot. Duty is the cast we put on broken love. Duty is the cast we put on broken love. I think that's a beautiful line. And I know duty can sound like kind of a no-fun, drudgery kind of a word, but I'm not talking about doing something out of guilt or obligation. I'm talking about a desire that comes deep within to see God's wholeness in our lives. Duty is love's deepest expression. Duty is love that is saying, even here, even now, I will not give up. I'm angry, I'm hurt, I feel wronged, but I'm not giving up. Our relationship is more important than any pain I might experience in trying to heal it. I'm sticking around. I'm going to stay. Because I want the wholeness and joy that comes with reconciliation. And if we go with that reconciling spirit, then we can get a lot of things wrong, but Jesus can make our relationships right. One of the most painful relational problems I think we can have is when families break down. And whenever possible, i like you to hear how all this theology works from someone in the congregation. So I've asked Tom and Billy Ilvesacher, to share with us how Jesus has been remaking their family. We have four daughters. As Christian parents, we raised our girls in the church, attending Sunday school, vacation Bible schools, youth groups, and Sambika camp during the summers. Despite all this, several years ago, our oldest daughter was an angry, defiant, out-of-control 14-year-old. Our home felt like a war zone. In the midst of our battles, our daughter ran away from our home and for a period of time lived on the streets here in Bellevue, occasionally staying in unhealthy homes where she found adults who acted as enablers. Eventually, we were able to find her, and we took her to a therapeutic boarding school in Montana. She spent a little over two years there. These were incredibly painful years during which we felt many times that finding reconciliation with our daughter might be impossible. There was much anger, misunderstandings to clear up, and forgiveness to be sought on all sides. The process of putting our relationship back together was not easy and at times was very painful with many ups and downs. Our daughter ran away from the school in Montana twice during the time she was there. Both times we were consistent in immediately returning her to the school. Over and over as parents, we found it necessary to reaffirm our commitment to our family and to our marriage. We never wavered in our deep abiding love for our child and for each other. And we always knew and wanted to be sure... (coughs) that she knew that we were in it for the long haul, no matter what it took. Our relationship with our daughter and with each other was more important than any pain that came from making the changes that were needed to repair the relationship. For over two years, Billy and I met with therapists from the school once a month to work on our own issues. The entire family went to Montana for a week every summer, 
to participate in family counseling that even included therapy groups for the younger siblings. As a couple, we had parented very differently and used different discipline styles, and we needed to understand and forgive each other and ourselves for the ways that each of us had contributed to the problems of communication. In addition, I took two long weekends in Montana working one-on-one with our daughter and her therapy team there in order to understand what she needed me to be as a father. During this time, I didn't lose faith in God's goodness or trust in his promises. However, I did find it excruciating to be in church. I sat in church week after week feeling like a total failure as a Christian and as a Christian mother. Everywhere around me, I saw normal families with normal Christian mothers who baked cookies and wore aprons and normal Christian teenagers who joyfully came to church every week and excelled in sports and athletics and academics. I longed to be one of those normal families. But God began to teach me that my definition of normal was seriously flawed. I believed that normal meant perfect. Instead, God taught me that his definition of normal is angry, rebellious, in pain, human Every single one of us fits God's definition of normal. Most of us adults who sit in church every Sunday have simply found ways to hide our normalness. We put on a facade of looking perfect. I suffered from severe depression during part of this time, and I worked weekly with my own Christian therapist, a wonderful woman who helped me to understand my own issues as a mother, as well as to regain some confidence in my parenting skills, which were severely undermined by what we were going through. After our daughter graduated from high school in Montana at age 17 and returned home, she chose to leave again and move to California. While we felt this was not a healthy choice, we had learned to let go and sent her off with the confidence that she knew our door was open. In fact, she did come home after that on her own, finally asking to be a full family member. Our relationship since that time has continued to grow and mature in miraculous ways. Through years of hard work, intense counseling, and much prayer, our daughter was restored to us. Our family that at one time seemed to have been stripped of its very fabric was put back together. In addition, God in his infinite wisdom provided us with an experience we can always call upon during difficult times when we misinterpret his momentary seeming silence as abandonment. His deliverance pierced my darkest hours many, many times. Our daughter is now a lovely Christian woman. She married a fine man upstairs here in the old sanctuary. They are members of our congregation and have given us three wonderful grandsons. She teaches Sunday school and volunteers at Bellevue Christian School where her boys go. She is a rock for her sisters and a blessing to my wife and I. She's not just our daughter. 
of whom we're incredibly proud and whom we love very much. But she's our close friend. The message that we learned so clearly is that God's greatest desire for all of us is to bring reconciliation and redemption. We have experienced this miraculously in our own life and in the life of our family. God truly means the promise he gave in Joel 2.25. The Lord says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has stripped. Some of you know our daughter. She says that she's so shy that standing up here her legs wouldn't hold her. However, she has agreed to at least wave and smile. Thank you guys for being willing to be that vulnerable. I appreciate it. Tom, Billy, and Amy did a number of things right in relational conflict. They went to each other and they dealt with the problem. They all had to admit their part in the conflict. They certainly prayed. And then they stayed for the long haul. They stayed with a reconciling spirit that said our relationship is more important than any pain I might experience in making it right. And so I'm going to stay. And now their whole family is free from the anger and the bitterness that easily could have engulfed them. But more importantly, they have seen the power of Jesus to make all things new, including all of those painful, broken, deeply wounding relationships that we all have. Doctors tell us that a bone that is broken and healed is stronger at the point of break than it was before. And I think that's the same with remade relationships. They've been fire-tested, and because of that, they're stronger. But more importantly, those are the relationships through which we can see Jesus. When Leonardo da Vinci was painting The Last Supper, he painted the face of Judas with the face of a person that he was angry with. But then he discovered that he had trouble painting the face of Jesus until he went and reconciled with the person he was mad at. In other words, when we forgive, then we see the face of God, because God is forgiveness. I know in this room there's a lot of relational pain. Husbands and wives who are hurting each other, parents and children who can't get along, friends, fellow church members who are fighting. But I also know from my own painful experiences that through Jesus, reconciliation is possible. Jesus, who holds things together that do not seem like they should go together, like being fully divine and fully human. Jesus, who on the cross raises one hand to God and the other to us and reunites our hands when we had walked away from him. Jesus, who reconciles us not only to God, but to each other. And Jesus, who can make all things new, including those relationships that are so painful. And not just new, but stronger and better than they ever were. So that our relationships become more than relationships, but become sacred vessels through which we can see the face of God. Because of his power in our lives to make broken hearts, broken marriages, broken friendships, broken lives new again. So to whom do you need to go with a reconciling spirit so that you can see the face of God? Lord Jesus, thank you that you give us the power to do this thing that is not easy to do. And Lord, we pray that where there is division, where there is conflict, where we are estranged, 
Lord, you would give us the power to go, admit our part, to pray and then to stay until that relationship is healed. We ask this in your name. Amen.